Welcome to Cure Chronic, a place where we have deep conversations and hear amazing stories about chronic disease and more. Here's your host, Becky Gale. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really excited to announce another Canadian. I'm really excited to hear her story. She was actually diagnosed with Lyme disease, and I've been really interested in the new insights, new findings, and everything that I'm learning about Lyme and actually every other disease on this podcast. So thank you to every other person that has been a part of this new project. I'm super grateful for you guys. But yeah, let's let Michelle tell her story. So I started off just with the first question you asked, Becky, what was the hardest thing when I was first diagnosed that I had to go through? And I would have to say the hardest thing is finally being correctly diagnosed, which was in May, 2015. So it took about two and a half years for a correct diagnosis, which I'm realizing through a lot of people I've spoke to is not unusual. And then once I had a correct diagnosis, I was had a bit of momentary relief that, oh my gosh, it it is finally a correct diagnosis. And then I quickly switched into realizing that this is a chronic bacterial autoimmune disease and there is no cure to it. So I didn't know what a tick was. I had no idea what Lyme disease was. And so I was relieved to finally have an accurate diagnosis. My prior diagnosis had initially been fibromyalgia. And so I was sent to a, apparently a leading rheumatologist rheumatologist he did the tender point exam and he said hands down you have fibromyalgia and then I went through a series of MRIs the ultrasounds tests and there was lesions on my brain so there was a chance that they also said I might have MS so when I when I finally did some research and got a correct diagnosis which was through a naturopath that I'll talk about later but she was very helpful then I learned more about what chronic Lyme disease really was And then I understood the significance of the diagnosis. It was hard to absorb it all and translate it into what was my future life then going to be. So I am definitely the type of person that always planned ahead for the next day, the next week, the next month. I was a big project planner um, and I'd always been able to do it all. Anything that life threw my way is able to do it. And now I became at a complete loss to know what I was going to do next. So my initial symptoms, I was, I was working at the time. I first developed some really intense pain in my lower back, which was constant, and I found I could hardly walk. So I went to my local chiropractor who I'd seen on and off periodically for two weeks straight every day and thought, okay, good to be back to work. I came back to work and I collapsed in the parking lot at work. So then I find that I was waking up every morning with no... Um, feeling in my hands, they became totally numb. And it was like I had to shake them to almost wake them up in the mornings. And same thing was happening with my feet. So once I would shake my hands and my feet and try to get moving, I would feel this tingly, weird um, pain slash numbness sensation. It would go back and forth. At the time, I was told I had carpal tunnel in both my hands that might require surgery. So I went for a test um, for carpal tunnel and there was no carpal tunnel. I was told I had plantar fasciitis in both of my feet and that was causing the numbness and pain. So I went and got orthotics and all of that, that didn't help. And then right after that, I started to have brain fog. So it started to present itself as just confusion. And then when I was, would be reading a book or a newspaper, I'd read one page and I couldn't remember what I'd read, which was really scary because then I'm starting to have neurological symptoms. I then began to have migratory systematic 
pain all through my body. So it would be in my knees, it would be in, in my shoulder, in between my shoulder blades, on the side of my face, behind my eyes, it was still in my hands and my arms, and I started to have difficulty walking. And the pain I felt initially, I thought was um, in my bones, I realized later that it was in my collagenous tissue. So wherever I had collagenous tissue surrounding my joints, or anywhere in your body you had it, is where the Lyme bacteria could be. And it was the function of the Lyme bacteria being growing into my collagenous tissue that apparently caused the systemic pain. And what was weird about it is I would wake up in the morning, I would never know where the pain was going to be. It could be in between my shoulder blades for a couple of days. The next day, I wouldn't be able to walk. The next day, it would be behind my eye. I ended up getting Bell's palsy, which is quite common with Lyme. One side of my face for a few weeks where my whole face drooped and I couldn't shut my eye to go to sleep. And then my body wasn't able to regulate temperature. So I often felt that my whole body was on fire. Heat and humidity were my enemy. I could not function at all. And I lost all the hair on my face, my eyebrows, my eyelashes, all the hair on my legs, my arms, it just disappeared. And then I had no energy. And I began to be able to predict with what I would call to myself a fatigue episode. I felt like I was falling down a fatigue pit. And it was so debilitating that whatever I was doing, I would have to go lie down. And then I had sleeplessness like I'd never had before. So in my crazy work life, I was normalizing functioning on four hours of sleep a night. I was traveling and staying in hotels and doing my work. And I couldn't even fall asleep to get that anymore. So there was about one hour of sleep I was averaging a night. So when I spoke about the naturopath earlier, after going to a medical doctor who pretty well told me I was postmenopausal, and put me on antidepressant drugs, um, and really he dismissed all of my symptoms. I finally found a naturopathic doctor who did some hormone tests for the very first time I'd never had my hormones checked. And all of my hormones, my estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and cortisol were all at dangerously low levels. My naturopath said that my adrenals were basically shut down, and I had no serotonin in my system, which is what one of the things that assists you with sleeping. My vitamin D levels were out. And she said, I don't understand what's happening, Michelle. You have something systemic. And she had not mentioned Lyme disease yet. So she did suggest sending my saliva away to a company called 23andMe that you see lots of commercials for on TV now. But back then, it was back in 2014. It was fairly new. And all of those results came back saying very detailed reports saying that two-thirds of my neural pathways were blocked. So after looking at all of this data and trying all kinds of holistic treatments to boost my neurotransmitters, to boost my hormones, my vitamin D, nothing was working. Finally, my naturopath said, I think you might have Lyme disease. So this had been about two and a half years from the original time I began to show symptoms. So she said, don't get tested in Canada because they only test for a very few number of Lyme um, families of bacteria. So let's send your blood to Ingenix, which is a lab in California that specifically tests for Lyme. So it came back overwhelmingly that I had Lyme disease. And Lyme disease, as you know, is known as a great imitator of other diseases. So it's frequently misdiagnosed 
as fibromyalgia, sometimes rheumatoid arthritis, sometimes lupus, um, and sometimes MS, because the symptoms are quite similar. So it's, it's really, really important to find a Lyme literate medical doctor. And as you know, in Canada, particularly in Ontario where I live, naturopathic doctors cannot write prescriptions. So um, in some countries and states and provinces, naturopathic doctors can operate as both traditional doctors and naturopathic doctors prescribe medication, et cetera, order tests, such is not the case in Ontario. So it took me two and a half years to find a Lyme literate doctor in Ontario. And I found him through a friend of mine I'd met on Lyme OO Canada, which is one of our Facebook groups and it's excellent. So I went to him and the first time he sat down with me, I told him about the test I'd had. He said, Michelle, I'm just gonna ask you some questions and I'm able to diagnose Lyme disease symptomatically. He said, I don't trust the tests in Canada either. They're not accurate. And after he asked me a series of questions, he said, your naturopath is absolutely correct to do what she did, to send away your saliva for this test or this blood for the test. But she said, he said, you unequivocally have Lyme disease. He said, I have hundreds of patients who have been to an average of five to 10 practitioners before they finally come to me. And he said, the key thing that the other practitioners haven't done is listen to their patients. If you listen to their patients, they will tell you symptoms that will help you to diagnose Lyme disease or any, he also deals with many other chronic illnesses like CFS and many of them. Also through my symptoms, he was able to help diagnose that I am celiac, which often people become celiac with Lyme disease. And that explained why I was having so much trouble eating gluten and dairy, which I started to shift my eating habits and my menu and that I found was really helpful. And he was also able to diagnose high dose antibiotics. And the high dose antibiotics were able to send my Lyme disease temporarily several times over a course of years into remission. So it was really helpful for me to have a medical internist to recognize Lyme disease and also a naturopath. I then also added a therapist to help me emotionally with what I was dealing with. So I was feel so fortunate to have finally, that was back in 2015, found these three wellness practitioners, um, among others that I was to add over the years, to really help me on this journey. I, I did really have to advocate for my own health as well, which is hard to do when you're not feeling well. So with living with all of these symptoms, finding a Lyme literate doctor, the last biggest challenge was the unpredictability of how I'd feel every day. So I was used to just making plans and able to do anything that came about, whether it was a planned activity or whether it was something that happened to be spontaneous. I then realized that I couldn't predict how I was gonna feel. So I was having to cancel all kinds of things in my life. I had to quit my VP job. There was no way I could function and travel yet I kept trying to work. Then I had to quit another job because I became sick. I thought maybe I was just being a workaholic. I thought I was just doing too much and I just had to slow down. So as I started to ratchet down my work life, I then realized in parallel, I had to ratchet down anything I was to plan with family or friends or my spouse in my personal life. I just couldn't predict what was gonna happen. 
And that made me lose a lot of self-confidence. Um, I, I felt, what am I going to be doing every day when I can't predict how I'm going to feel? And I found it really hard as someone who's trying to f- function on this, even with an ac- accurate diagnosis, to then figure out what my life was going to look like. I have been so used to planning things in a future-oriented sense. I thought, how can I even plan from one minute to another? So I would say those were the very hardest things that I went through at the beginning. Um, And I think recognizing those symptoms, had I recognized them earlier as being Lyme disease, I might have had a, a shorter route to diagnosis. I did take, you know, all kinds of treatments for fibromyalgia and pharmaceutical prescriptions, et cetera, that did nothing and probably didn't help me in the long run. But I've, I felt very, very um, grateful and still do to have found these healthcare practitioners. So that leads me to the next question, Becky. And that was, what's the best thing that happened out of all of this um, unexpected turn of events in my life? And I'm a big believer in silver linings. I think out of really tough situations come a lot of silver linings. So that happened um, to me, punctuated by a lot of pain and loss and sorrow. And there were several life events that had led up to me getting Lyme disease and totally compromising my immune system that were warning signs and signals that I'd completely ignored or I was oblivious to for some unknown reason. So the first first thing is I lost, lost a sense of who I was prior to myself getting this disease. Um, My body basically, I believe, had to shut me down to get me to stop and listen. So I had been a workaholic for many, many years. Um, Prior to 2013, when my health basically fell apart, I was living in a corporate vice president, senior leadership role for 16 years. I had convinced myself that sleeping four hours a night was normal and that was sustainable. And I was flying back and forth between Canada and US every week, staying in hotel rooms, working with hundreds of employees reporting up to me and seldom living in the present. So my orientation was always living in the, in the future. My mother passed away in 1999 of breast cancer and she suffered for almost three years. And at that time in my life, which was a few years before this happened, I drove back and forth from Toronto to London on almost an every other day basis to help my father who was dealing with my mom who was dying of breast cancer. And I normalized doing that while my family at the time lived in Waterloo. And so doing that type of a three hour round trip and I was getting up at four in the morning to drive back to Toronto for work. I just, I normalized it. I said, I can do this. Uh, 2002, I went through a really tough divorce And when I went through that divorce, it was hard, not only on me, but my two children and my husband. And then in 2005, I met my current husband and I acquired three stepchildren. I moved nine times between 2002 and 2013. And then when my mother passed away, my father remarried and he moved out west to Victoria only to have that spouse pass away in 2012. So by that time, I wasn't feeling well, and I launched into supporting my dad, thinking I can look after his financial and personal care affairs because my other three siblings are working full time. And my dad is currently diagnosed with dementia and Parkinson's. Throughout all of this going on, before I got the Lyme diagnosis, I was not paying attention to my health 
my well-being, and my focus was on other people and never myself. And I thought, why do I have such difficulty living in the present? Why, why am I always so future-oriented? And why am I always oriented on taking care of other people in my life but not myself? So I took the time to engage with a therapist, and she helped me to figure out that as a child, I had been sexually abused from age four to eight. And the reason this is meaningful is it began to answer some questions for me about why I was not living in the present. So I had buried these memories, and like many people who are abuse survivors, I kind of put it on the shelf and kept moving ahead and never stopped. I was always moving, always moving forward, always living in the future. And in order to function, when I got the Lyme diagnosis, I had to learn that I had to stop and I, I was forced to live in the present. And this of uh, a series of these things that had happened in my life and lots of people have life events that are as traumatic as this. I realized I hadn't been living in the present. My body basically shut me down and said, no, you can't work anymore. You've got to listen to me. And I hadn't been listening. I hadn't been listening to my body. And I was a big believer in self-awareness. And I actually did tons of leadership development with other people to help them learn to be self-aware. And I had to now transfer some of that back to myself and say, what are you going to do in this situation? What has acquiring Lyme disease and being this sick that you basically had no immune system to fight off this disease? what are you going to do? So basically, all of those things led up to the silver lining of me getting back to living in the present. And my wellness has become a priority like it has never been in my entire life. And my ability to put myself before other people, even though I still have difficulty with it, is happening. And all of those things I frankly believed probably wouldn't have happened had I not got Lyme disease. It seems like a strange journey and a strange series of silver linings, but I really truly believe that. So in learning how to objectively look at myself, look at my belief system, look at my past, look at my emotional triggers, I really believe that the mind and the body are completely linked. So if you have physical things going on, if you don't deal with the emotional stuff, I like to call it our own baggage, that we all have, um, you can only put it on a shelf or in the closet for so long before it begins to affect your physical well-being. And I think that in doing the work that I've been doing the last few years and continue to do, I try to always keep in mind I've got to focus not only on the physical body, but I've got to focus on the emotional side of my system and my spirit. And if I can do both together, then the mind-body connection can work better. And so all of those things were silver linings for me. Your third question was, if I could go back in time and tell my younger self something that I've learned out of all of this, what would it be? And I would say that learning to love, love myself has been a huge learning. I had a huge lack of self-deservedness. I think probably partially caused by the trauma in my childhood. But in retrospect, I just didn't value myself enough to take care of myself and give myself that time. Um, acquiring Lyme disease has been such a nightmare disease to have that I wouldn't wish on anyone else. My hope is through this story that I'm telling that 
people will recognize some of these symptoms long before I did and hopefully have a healthier immune system to be able to battle something like Lyme disease or address any of the chronic illnesses that are out there. So what I would tell my younger self is number one, I'd say live in the present and in the moment. Uh, my second husband is truly my soulmate in that he lives in the moment. He wakes up every morning um, positive. He's got a great sense of humor. And he has been a huge support for me to live in the present. It's okay to be future oriented, but that's where I was living all of the time. I didn't live in the past, but I didn't live in the present. So I'm learning to enjoy those moments. And I did miss a lot of, quote, present moments in my life that I wasn't focusing on. Number two is understand who you are and value yourself enough to put yourself first. So always putting my needs ahead of other people. I always had hundreds of employees in my job that I could find their needs to be more important than mine. I have uh, two children, three stepchildren, my, my husband, my father, my mother when she was ill. All of these people were people who got my energy and time. And at the end of the day, I didn't leave any for myself. So I would, I would learn to put myself first ahead of others because my learning has been if you don't do that, there's going to be nothing else for you to give to others. The third learning I had had to do with the care of my elderly father who currently has dementia and Parkinson's is never take for granted the relationship you have with your own siblings when you launch into caring for a parent. So um, my three siblings live out west. I live in Ontario where my father lives. And I thought it would be perfectly fine for me to take over all of the financial care responsibilities and personal care responsibilities on my own because my three siblings were working. And that has been an immense load, which only becomes more as your parent's condition becomes worse, particularly with me also struggling with Lyme disease. So I've talked to many people who are caring for an elderly parent. And I would say, get to know your siblings first and make sure you have a very solid relationship with them and their trust and support before you launch into caring for an, an elderly parent. The next item I would say is do the internal work to become more self-aware and conscious about who you are. I say to people, it's difficult to look at your own shit. And I'm sorry to use that word, but it's really hard to look inside and look at ourselves. Uh, it's easier to get distracted and look at all the things that are going on outside of yourself. In my case, I didn't consciously acknowledge the trauma that I had been through until I had done the work with this therapist. And although it was immensely painful to come to the conscious realization that this had happened in my childhood, it was a relief because on a practical side, I couldn't understand theoretically why I couldn't give time to myself and why I had such a deep lack of self-deservedness. Um, particularly when I had Lyme disease, it's like, why, why can't you give that time to yourself? So I think working through that, if you can find, I had a, a wonderful mentor that happened to be in my workplace when I was working in Boston at the time. And I also um, have an amazing therapist. Work through these issues. They're tough issues. And all of us have baggage that if you put it on a shelf, it's going to pop out sooner or later and affect you. My next thing I would say is I would have better nurtured my friendships, which I certainly have nurtured, but 
they've become so critically important to me through having a chronic disease like Lyme disease. Um, I've had girlfriends for 40 years who have always been there through me and they're non-judgmental, they're honest, they're supportive, they've been an amazing support system and those friendships are in addition to having a really amazing um, husband who's been supportive, which isn't always easy for him when he sees some of the things that I go through and the gyrations, as I call them, with Lyme disease. I would also say surround yourself with people who value you for who you are. And so for me, um, I had surrounded myself with some people in my life who valued what I did versus who I was. And I had a huge capacity for doing hundreds of things in any given day. And that was a value system I had then assigned to myself. So when you get something like Lyme disease, it stops you in your tracks. And all of a sudden you can't do a hundred things a day. And then you begin to say, why am I doing a hundred things a day? <laughs> like, why is this your value system? What you do versus who you are. One of my former CEOs presented me with a little glass horse at one of our senior VP meetings. And he said, I'm presenting this to Michelle because she can gallop across the desert with no water for days. So I'm giving her an Arabian horse because that's who she represents to me. She never needs to stop for a drink. She can go on and on and on. And at the time I thought, is this a compliment or is this something that should be a wake up call for me? This is not normal and natural, but that's, that was one of the things that I was being rewarded for, being that kind of a, a worker and a person. So on to your next question, and you have some great questions here, Becky. What have I found to be the most important thing up to now about this disease, and what am I looking forward to in future to doing more drastically or differently? So I found that I can actually live with my Lyme disease. For the first few years, I was battling it like it was an enemy inside of me. And I was becoming very discouraged with every treatment that I had that I just couldn't eradicate this, I call them the little Lyme that was living inside of me. And I was shocked and overwhelmed when I had to quit my vice president position, which I loved. I just loved doing leadership development. I loved supporting people. And I went through a process called um, gripe, grope, and group. And it's something I learned early on in my career, that you need to allow yourself to gripe about what you're going through, and then allow yourself to go through a stage of groping with that change, and then allow yourself to get to group and to grasp what's happened. And it's okay to go through those stages. There's no shortcuts. And I find that if I hadn't griped or groped or gone through those phases, I would never get to the point where I'm at now, which is acceptance. It doesn't mean that I still don't think eventually one day they may find a cure for Lyme disease, but my energy isn't fully consumed on just always trying to totally eradicate it. And that was a really important shift for me because after allowing myself to go through those stages, knowing that I have a really great wellness team supporting me, I can live with it. Similarly to how people live with cancer, people live with other diseases and conditions. It's not something anymore that I berate myself for why can't you beat this thing? It's finding ways to live with it and finding ways to really um, go through every day.
I always had been of service to others. And I find by doing things like this, being able to share my experiences and helping others, I'm a very service-oriented individual. My father's a fireman. My mother was a lab technologist. Every day we woke up to serve other people. So I can do that through sharing my story. And amazingly, I went on a woman's retreat back in 2011, which is a great thing. And I met with three different shamans. Uh, the first shaman said to me, Michelle, you, through an interpreter, you, can, you are a healer and you can heal other people, but you've got to heal yourself first. Uh, the second shaman listened to my pulse and she said, you do too much. And the third shaman, we were standing by a river and she stood, stood me on a rock with my other girlfriends looking on as they stood on the riverbank. And she said, you need to stay there until you listen to what's happening. And after that uh, particular retreat, which was amazing, that I did for myself, I began to finally wake up. I have tried multiple holistic treatments, pharmaceutical antibiotic treatments. I have tried hypnotherapy. I have tried EFT. I have done reflexology, acupuncture. I have done salt caves. I have done everything you can think of, and I'm sure there's more that I haven't tried. And I try to be open to what is best for me in terms of my wellness. But I really, everything that I went through served a purpose to help me learn. So I would encourage people who are struggling with Lyme, do your research. There is no shortage of treatments and people will sell you the golden ticket to say this will cure you. Um, and I did purchase some of those. So really try to be as discerning as you can and try and make sure that you're doing what's right for you. I found with Lyme that there is no judgment. There is whatever feels right for you, and I have celiac as well, whatever feels right for your system, advocate for your own health. And if you don't advocate for your own health, then how can you expect anyone else to be doing it? You have to take on that advocation role. So at the end of all of this, um, I am my own health and wellness advocate. I have to be careful not to become a fixated researcher of everything that is connected to Lyme disease. I ended up contracting COVID in January, February, and March. I had it for eight weeks and they weren't doing any testing then, but I began to acquire blood clots. I got one in my lung and one in my leg. I got severe gastrointestinal issues where I now have an esophageal hiatal hernia. I have gallstones. I have lost 30 pounds in the last six months because I can't swallow or eat. And I have some other odd symptoms that I now realize are what they call long hauler COVID symptoms. So I have that. And my attorney told me recently that Lyme disease is a systemic bacterial infection and COVID is a systemic viral infection. Both diseases uh, can affect any system in your body and they can coexist quite well together. So the um, virus of COVID and the Lyme bacteria, they're living happily within my body right now having a little party. So the good thing is that the blood clots um, just in the last couple of weeks have dissipated but by listening to my body and becoming my own wellness advocate, I could have never gotten through the COVID infection that I have in addition to Lyme disease. 
and um, it also is through knowing about myself more and living in the present. So I would also say use your voice and speak your truth. Throughout my whole life, I always listened to everyone else's voices, but I suppressed my own voice. I didn't trust it enough or had the confidence in it to give it a priority. I now do, sometimes too much so. I will use my voice so much that I think sometimes people are sick of hearing it. But I do advocate for myself and I do use my own voice in a respectful way. Don't allow yourself to be bullied or disrespected. Um, part of the work I did with my therapist was to find there were several people in my work life and my personal life who were all out negatively intended bullies. And I kept trying to do everything I could to repair those relationships when I should have just walked away. And I've learned how to do that. Don't give up on yourself. I've definitely had bad days. I've had some suicidal days where I really said, is this really worth it? Should I still be on this earth? And thank God I moved on from those days, but it is really, really hard some days where you just feel you can't predict how you're going to feel and you're just not sure what you're going to be able to do on any given day, if anything. So make sure you have that support system. And that support system can be whoever in your life you trust. And I've found people that are non-judgmental, but honest, who you really trust are really helpful. As I mentioned earlier, be selective about your Lyme treatment. In the seven plus years that I believe I have Lyme disease, I've easily spent over $10,000 out of pocket at a time when I had to quit my career and with no warning. So financially, this disease is devastating. Uh, we've had to sell our house. My husband and I live on $40,000 a year together now. Um, we're living on our, our meager retirement savings. So this changes your life financially. And I think raising awareness, not only for the physical impact of Lyme disease, but for the financial impact of Lyme disease is so important. It's so important for people just in order to be able to have the resources to pursue some of these treatments, which are not, not known as traditional treatments covered under a benefit plan. We also lost our health benefit plan and pay for our own benefits now. So all of these things, which rolled out into our lives after I acquired Lyme disease are just things that you have to prepare for. And I think in Canada, I'd always been so proud of our medical system. This is the first time I've been so extremely disappointed. I actually just um, wrote a note the other day to um, one of our health ministers. After seeing her, Patty Hatchu, after seeing her on TV every day, I thought I'm gonna write her a letter and I've written my MPPs, my local municipal level. Just try to use your voice to spread that awareness. And this, this is why this podcast is so wonderful. Get to know yourself, listen to that body and your inner, inner voice. Be prepared for the fact that financially this is gonna to be tough and don't disconnect with others. One of my instincts, which is very much not who I am, I'm very much a connector with people. When I became ill, I began to pull back and isolate and disconnect. And that's okay to do sometimes, but I was, I was really isolating. And so try to make sure that you connect with other people. And the support groups that are out there now are incredible. I belong to the Facebook group for Lyme, as I mentioned earlier, OO Canada, it's incredible. 
of finding out about your podcast. I belong to a long-hauler COVID group. Um, I have community groups. I have neighbors. I have those girlfriends that I talked about earlier. I have an incredibly supportive husband. My children understand, my children and my stepchildren, what has happened, and they're, they're supportive. So surround yourself with those people, and don't be afraid to ask for help. When you need that emotional, spiritual, physical support, there's lots of people who will help you, but you have to be brave enough to ask for that help. My husband and I have a motto, and it's life is good, based after the life is good company, and I actually got to meet those owners who are based in Boston. And we love that, that, that motto. And every day we talk about how grateful we are, particularly during the current pandemic. And we're grateful to have the time to support each other and to have lived through a pandemic so far. And for me to be able to live with Lyme, I'm grateful for being able to do that. It changed my life in the most unexpected way but I wouldn't change anything that's happened in the last few years. As painful as it's been, it led me to where I am. And I can do lots of things that I couldn't do before, such as I've taken up doing driftwood crafts. We live on Lake Huron, so I collect driftwood and I do. That helps me to stay in the present. I can spend more time. I have nine grandchildren and five, or one son pass away, but four children. So I can spend more time doing things that bring me joy. And even though I loved my corporate life, there were parts of it that were a real grind. And now I can just focus on my health and well-being, and I don't feel guilty about it. So that's my story, Becky, and I'd be happy to answer any other questions that you might have. Yeah, that's um, just wow, 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 wow. You know, it's... It's just amazing the things that you went through and, and the things that you had to go through as a child. And, you know, the one thing with chronic disease and dealing with this, you know, I keep running into it. There are so many people on my podcast that have that type A personality and these, these diseases are, and, and it's a little bit different for you because something caused you to get the disease, but it's like in my head, you know, you can't, you have to just wonder, it's like, there's something out there that's like, okay, you got to slow down. You got to take time for yeah. yourself sort of thing. Cause I was the same as you. I had three jobs going, um, always yeah. making sure that other people were happy before me always, you know, it's like that whole, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've said this on almost every single one of my podcasts, but it's like, we're the type of people that will put on not only the people beside us, the masks for the airplane, but the entire people on the airplane before we'll put on our own kind of thing. But it's, yeah. And so it's just amazing though, because when we get the diagnosis or when we get sick or when I got sick anyways, you're dealing with grief, number one, because it's the loss of, loss of your health, but also yeah. it's the denial phases because all of a sudden your busy lifestyle where you're always pleasing everybody else, it's like, okay, now you need to go to them and ask them for help. And that's yeah. terrifying when you're not used to that. And, and so it's, it's this huge crazy literally your whole life stops and it's like you're on a boat or something and it goes flips right upside down you're like okay how do i do this what do i do this is just, this is just crazy um yeah but but yeah it's it's it, like i remember very vividly living through like what you were talking about like the the denial phases or or like the way that you said that where it's like the 
what is it the the grind the grave what do you what did you call it again uh, three stages gripe growth and group yeah I learned it way back in my leadership career as a way to help employees manage change and to, mm-hmm. and to understand if you're going to introduce any type of major change, they have to go through these spaces. They can't yes. jump to group. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, with a lot of people with chronic disease, it's the acceptance that it takes such a long time because nobody wants to sit there and accept the fact that they have a chronic disease for the rest of their life. No, it seems overwhelming and impossible actually. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe in future they're doing research every single day and hopefully with more awareness, they'll do more research on Lyme disease. I've heard murmurs of another vaccine and you hear these things and I, I, I don't know, maybe in our lifetime that will happen. But um, I, as I said earlier, I've, I've shifted my energy away from this is going to be devastating if this is the rest of my life to how bad would it be to learn how to live with this and still manage your symptoms so you can function and enjoy those joyful times of your life, but not giving up on cure, but I'm just shifting where I'm focusing my energy and that made a big difference to me, especially in terms of my emotional well-being. And it did help me in my physical well-being. I've been through some periods of remission. I think the longest was about four months. But it always came back. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. I've been through enough of those cycles now to now not be surprised or shocked when that happens. But it's just being more accepting. And now being through COVID as well. And now having long hauler symptoms, it's like an interesting package of day-to-day things. But interesting, Becky, I said to my doctor in February, something's wrong. I have gas, GI symptoms I've never had before. I have blood clots, which I've never had blood clots before. And nobody knew that those were COVID symptoms at the time. And so advocating for my own health led me to realizing, yeah, I did have COVID and he totally agreed my internist. And he said, there are probably lots of people like you who they weren't doing testing or their symptoms weren't serious enough to be put in the hospital that already had COVID. And it's kind of like a double whammy when you have a chronic disease because you're trying to sort out which symptoms are COVID and which are Lyme. No kidding. And that's That's also terrifying too. Like, you know, I couldn't even imagine having COVID with Crohn's disease. And could you talk a little bit more about your experience having COVID? Like it's terrifying. (laughs) We were on holiday in Mexico and I had just had um, an IV dose of ceftriaxone for my Lyme disease up until early December for eight weeks. And then I also was on a new oral drug called Dapsone. And I was feeling some relief from my Lyme symptoms. I went to Mexico. The blood clots hit just before I went, kind of out of the blue. And my, both my doctors said, it's okay, you can still travel, which was surprising. I got there. My husband and I had rented a condo. And I began to have the most severe gastrointestinal sy- symptoms. I couldn't swallow at all. I could, I could barely swallow a liquid. And I began to have a coughing and chest pain like I've never had in my life. I could hardly breathe. 
Um, and here we are in a condo in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And so luckily there is really good medical care in Puerto Vallarta, but I still didn't know I had COVID. I went to a gastrointestinal specialist who, who said, I haven't seen this. She put me on a couple of um, antibiotics and did some tests. And then I went to a vascular specialist because my blood clots, I could hardly walk. So I had one in my leg and one in my lung. And on top of that, I couldn't keep any food down. So there was no way I could get on an airplane. So luckily, um, we were in our little condo. I had, it was like a little apartment. I pretty well stayed in that condo for about two and a half to the three weeks of our one month stay. I would occasionally go down and sit with my husband by the pool, but I just didn't have any energy. And I thought, where are these random symptoms coming from? It's not only respiratory, First, I thought maybe I just had a chest cold or bronchitis, but now I have all these GI symptoms and I had stabbing pains in my stomach. And now I know my gallbladder, which I didn't realize it was that then. And then I started having swelling of my lymph nodes in my collarbone and I couldn't lift my left arm. So I'll just say it wasn't a very fun holiday. My husband was very, very supportive when I finally felt okay that I could get on a plane, I got home in early February and the respiratory infection reared up again in such a bad way that I couldn't even lie down. I couldn't breathe. I went to emergency twice. I was coughing up blood, which I thought was my um, blood clot in my lung. They took my temperature and this is interesting. I didn't present with a high temperature because typically I've found in some Lyme patients find this, you present with low grade temperatures. So my normal temperatures from 94 to 95, um, I never get high temperatures. So all they did was say, you don't have a high temperature, so go home. So they kept sending me home. And my internist said, I don't know what to do, Michelle. We'll schedule you for an endoscopy, which I've now been waiting for seven months to get so that they can figure out what's really going on. I did have a, was able to finagle an upper GI um, ultrasound, which identified the esophageal hiatal hernia. And so it has been just a journey of crazy ass symptoms. I thought, where are these coming from? And I knew it wasn't lying. And my internist was learning more and more every day. And I just had a recent appointment with him last week. And he said, yeah, Michelle, I, I pretty well told you at your last appointment, I think you've had COVID and now I'm pretty sure you've had COVID because now you're having all the long hauling symptoms. And he said, now we can understand that COVID is also a systemic disease that can attack every organ. So you've already had issues with your lungs. You've had blood clots. You now have your entire uh, GI system from your esophagus, your stomach and down to your, your gallbladder affected. And the lymph node swelling, I was afraid it was all swelling in my neck, which I still have. I thought it was lymphoma. I had no idea. I'd never had swelling like that on my collarbone. And he said that all of my lymph nodes are um, inflamed due to this infection. They luckily have ruled out lymphoma. They've ruled out thyroid. But we still don't know everything because they're learning more and more about COVID every day. So all I'm seeking is some relief. My Lyme symptoms, I said to my Lyme internist the other day, I'm almost happy when I get a Lyme symptom because I recognize what it is and I know it's Lyme. <laughs> the other things, I have, I have no idea how to attack them or how to manage them. 
So the only thing that has um, gotten better is my blood clot in my lung has dissipated so that I don't have constant pain there. And my respiratory symptoms, I can now talk for a period of time without coughing. I still am quite weak in doing anything that requires any amount of physical energy. So walking upstairs, I have difficulty breathing. But it's, if not for joining the long hauler group on Facebook in Canada, I would have never realized that all of these symptoms are due to the COVID. So I, I just thought I was going crazy. I thought, I've got enough stuff going on with the Lyme. Where are these things coming from? Mm -hmm. So um, I really have worked hard on propping up my immune system the last few years. And I believe that I probably had Lyme or had the COVID, I should say, in December, mm -hmm. even before I boarded the plane. And I, I'm a big believer in proper ventilation systems um, because I've had exposure to mold in my past as well. And I really believe that the air conditioner in our condo probably wasn't helpful, nor were the airplane rides. And when we landed in Toronto Airport from Mexico at the beginning of February, I couldn't walk because of the blood clot in my leg and also my, my, my mobility. So I was in a wheelchair. My husband was pushing me up to customs and going from our two airports of we'd landed from Port of Ireland to Toronto and we're flying back to London, Ontario. They shunted me over to this area where a whole bunch of people just got off a plane from Hong Kong. And my husband had vaguely heard when we were in January in Mexico about COVID, but it wasn't really a big thing yet. And he had the presence of mind to say, my wife can't sit here with all of these, nobody was wearing masks then, with all of these people, because I'm just a bit worried. Um, they made us wait there for a while longer, and I don't think that was helpful for anyone. So I believe that I reacquired, or it was still with me, the COVID, because I went on to have another six weeks by the time I got home of really bad symptoms, respiratory and upper GI. So. Anyways, it just proved to me that you have to listen to your body and mm -hmm. really put the puzzle together and find people who will help you put that puzzle together. And had I not advocated for my own health with Lyme, I probably wouldn't have such good research and self-advocate skills <laughs> uh, for COVID. And it, it helped me mm -hmm. to try and kind of unravel this and figure it out, which we're all learning more and more about every day. So the isolation I've, I've had to do with COVID has not been that difficult because I, I was at home a lot with Lyme disease. So that mm -hmm. already shifted my life a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I do find like everyone that it's, it's very hard with an autoimmune condition. And now that I've had COVID, I'm a little bit still worried, even though I've had negative COVID tests, that I could give it to someone else. And my internist has told me that I could get a lesser version of it again. So wow. just trying to be do, you know, be kind to one another as as we've said throughout this entire pandemic and just be thoughtful of one another and don't be judgmental. You don't know anyone else's story. Mm -hmm. And we all have different reasons for the steps that we're taking. So I think my kind of primer in ha having endured Lyme. It's probably helpful for COVID because it was like, oh, what's this? <laughs> and how am I going to get through this? Yeah. And just knowing that I would come out the other side. So 
I'm still on that post-COVID journey, but you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're just going to have to deal with it. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. And it's amazing how these diseases that we get that literally makes us, it forces us to listen to our bodies to be like, okay, this is not right. This is not okay. And, you know, same thing with me. Like I know exactly when I'm having a Crohn's flare up. So when something else happens, you're like, okay, what's going on? And so, you know, you, you knew immediately as soon as you got something that was a little bit different, that wasn't Lyme disease. Um, you know, and then you're right. It's like, okay, now I have to figure out what this is because this is, this isn't right. But there are so many people out there that I think are still struggling with Lyme that don't know they have Lyme because of the fact Mm -hmm. that our, you know, for whatever reason, our medical systems, they don't properly diagnose, they don't properly treat. There are so many doctors out there still to this day that don't believe that chronic Lyme disease exists. And it's just amazing that even, even, you know, you mentioned chronic fatigue, you mentioned fibromyalgia. I am now hearing that there's a huge portion of people with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and um, ALS that have Lyme disease, people that have passed away from these diseases that actually mm-hmm. test positive for Lyme. It's, it's an amazingly huge percentage. And for me, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to get more and more people with Lyme disease on because there are probably so many hundreds of thousands of Canadians that are living with Lyme that don't know they have Lyme disease and that can't get properly diagnosed or that are being told that these symptoms are all in their head or for whatever reason. So, you know, and you wonder why, why is our medical system like that when we could send out our blood to California or to Germany and they get a proper blood test done there? Like, I just don't understand it. I don't either. And because so many things are changing in this pandemic, things that have always been inequitable, things that needed to be changed, I have faith that it will bring more light to these things. And I think in Canada, I have no idea why we operate the way we do. And I think it starts with the training of our medical doctors. I do think that there's some bright spots of hope. I do see more doctors now listening to patients when they come in presenting with a bullseye rash. I did not present with a bullseye rash and many people who have Lyme disease don't. They never even know they've Mm -hmm. been Lyme Exactly. And I traced my experience back. It was probably from one of three hiking trips I took on the Bruce Trail in Ontario, in Ecuador, and in the White Mountains in Northeastern U.S., all within a two-week span. My symptoms happened right after that. But I didn't present with anything. So my doctor pretty well, my first doctor treated me like I was postmenopausal. And um, pretty well, it was depression, anxiety. Um, we need to give you Lyrica, Cymbalta. I've been on a truckload of antidepressants, which never did anything except make me feel worse. So I do think more awareness will come. I think if there's more awareness in proper prevention, and I do think that prevention awareness has really stepped up in the last couple of years. More people know what a tick is now. I never even knew what a tick. I've given many friends and family members a tick key to put on their key key ring so they know how to lift a tick off properly without causing more problems. Um, More of that is out there, what to do if you're hiking. I tell people you can get a tick bite anywhere not just in rural areas, it can be in your backyard and in urban subdivision. So that's happening. 
But then to the diagnosis piece really involves our medical system. And I think naturopathic doctors, in my experience, were more willing to listen and think about Lyme than medical doctors until I found the Lyme literate doctor that I have. And I said to him the other day, I hope you never retire because you have been the first medical doctor I've had in this journey who's actually listened to me and made me feel like I wasn't crazy. So I think if we can train our medical doctors to symptomatically diagnose Lyme, um, lots of negative blood tests have been run in Canada. And I also heard the other day that Canada has the highest diagnosis rate of MS of any country in the world. And I gotta believe that some of those people who are on MS drugs right now don't have MS, they have Lyme disease because the symptoms are yeah. so similar. And we talked mm -hmm. about Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and many other diseases that are, and that's a tragedy that people mm -hmm. live their lives on the wrong treatment schedules, which may be causing other side effects and they don't even have that disease. So there's no hope of any relief. Yeah. I have to say that today on Lyme disease, I'm a different person than I was even five years ago, or seven years ago. I can walk. I have used a cane often, but I can walk. Um, some of the things are a little bit better. I would say, my doctor used to say, how bad are your symptoms, 10 out of 10? And I used to say 10 plus. I would now have to say on many days, it could be a seven or a six, which I take as a good day. And so there are some things that have helped me and maybe my immune system is, is becoming strengthened. But then you have to realize people are losing their careers. They're losing their homes. If you were the, the primary wage earner in your family, which I was, my, my husband's semi-retired, all of a sudden, blink overnight, you lose your entire income. And your entire life changes with no warning, which happens to everyone with this type of a chronic disease. So the government does not make it easy for you to make an insurance claim on a Lyme treatment, for you to actually acquire CPP disability, for you to even receive the Canada Revenue Disability Tax Credit. So you can live. And so um, I thought it was interesting during the pandemic that different categories of people were being addressed. And finally, they got to quote the disabled category. And they got, you know, a few hundred dollars, which was very kind and thoughtful. But I, I had to think about how many people who have disability, like Lyme disease and other chronic diseases, are suffering even more so during a pandemic. So people's lives change overnight. And I'm glad that people know what Lyme disease is. When I speak to any given person I meet now, even people I don't know, they know what Lyme disease is. They actually know what a tick is. And that's miles away from where it was seven years ago. So we're making progress, um, but it has to be more. Uh, we have to have insurance yeah. companies recognize chronic Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. You have to have um, people in Canada know that you're not crazy if you have Lyme disease. You, it actually is a real disease. Mm -hmm. It's happening. And I think part of that is through education and awareness like you're doing, Becky. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, more and more Canadians need to realize because people don't think that 
Lyme disease exists in Canada because of how cold it gets. But you know what? It's not it's really hilarious. that cold anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And recently, there used to be a map, which you've probably seen, and it said Lyme disease only goes this far north, and it's only in mm -mm. these cities or, or places. In Ontario, one of those places was Pinery Provincial Park, which is right near where I live. Well, mm -hmm. I, I live 10 minutes from it. Why would it not be in my backyard, but it's in the Pinery Provincial Park? Yeah. Um, I tell people that wherever migratory birds can fly, mm -hmm. it's not just deers that carry ticks. And migratory birds can fly thousands of miles. And with yeah. global, global warning, there isn't one country in the world, whether you have winter or not, that doesn't have Lyme disease. And yep. ticks have been proven to be very hardy little guys, and they can live through the winter. Yeah. So, you know, you can be out hiking in the woods, and you can still get bitten by a tick in mm -hmm. the winter. So when I see those maps, and people, I don't know how they can do this. They don't worry if you go here, there is no Lyme disease, but there but it definitely is in this location. Just steer clear of there. It's, it's everywhere. And it's just something we need to, as a matter of our day-to-day -day life, um, recognize it. And if you're going to go outside, when you come back in the house, look for ticks. Know, know your own yeah. body. And, you know, not everyone presents with a bullseye rash. But all of those things are becoming, I think, more well-known. Mm -hmm. I just wish for people like myself who have chronic Lyme disease there was more support and help mm -hmm. yeah exactly and, and I, I think that will come in time yeah yeah and I think that that's just going to come with the more awareness that's out there and I think the more doctors understand Lyme disease as well because I just don't think it's not the doctor's fault it's just the ignorance towards the disease right it's just it's that's the same right. thing with why people don't they can't diagnose themselves because they don't know what's wrong. So it, it's just a matter of time. Exactly. And to the credit of our doctors, there've been doctors, as you've probably heard of in the U.S., who had their licenses taken away because yes. they've, they've been treating Lyme patients. Like, you've got to be kidding me. So people have to worry that they're at risk if they treat mm -hmm. a Lyme patient. So well, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. That And that whole topic there, we could talk for another hour on that one, because what's crazy about that is the people that are getting brought towards, like the, the doctors that are being brought towards the medical board, well, the medical board is not actually looking at the statistics of the result of the treatment, you know, the, the fact that the people are getting better. They're just yeah. saying, well, this doctor is not following the proper protocol of how to properly treat Lyme disease, and that's why he's getting his license taken away. They're not looking at the fact that what he gave the patient worked. And that, to me, is a total, total shock. It is a shock. It's totally unnecessary, and it is mm -hmm. so unfair to those medical practitioners who are yes. trying to help people. It and it's so sad to the patients yeah. as well. Yeah. Because, you know, you look at, I watched a documentary, and we'll put a link to it. It's under our skin, I believe. But it's yeah. the fact that these people who have had treatment from these doctors, like the long-term antibiotics, for example, um, yeah. you know, they get treated from these doctors and then they have to watch them lose their medical license, even though, you know, for example, their kids are now Lyme disease free or in remission or whatever. Right. And it's, it's devastating. It's, 
it's totally unacceptable. And yeah. all of those Lyme patients, um, there's one very well-known Lyme practitioner who is Canadian who was operating in New York State, and she has just closed her practice. So all of those Lyme patients mm-hmm. are now saying, where do we go now? Yes. And it's not yeah. like there's hundreds of practitioners they can choose from in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, not only does, and that wasn't the case with this practitioner, it, we are mentioning previously the case of someone who's had their license taken away, but if we don't have these people out there helping patients and supporting them, there's going to be a lot of wasted angst and pain for patients globally who yeah. suffer needlessly. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's yes. Unnecessary. And, you know, I, I'm happy to say that of the MPPs and the health ministers in the past that I've written, they've all replied back to me. And there mm-hmm. was a line task force that was put together at the federal level. But I have to, and I've read the entire document that came out of that. I think it was a couple of years ago now. But I have to say at my level, I haven't seen a lot of change as a result of that. So had I been well enough, I would have loved to go up to that forum, which was in Ottawa at the time. But it it at least was an effort. And I know that there have been bills put forward in Canada. I think it's Bill 442, which was put forward a few years ago by Elizabeth May specifically about Lyme disease. So there have been absolute efforts in the political world to listen to their constituents and help people. And I, and I know it will continue growing. It's just, it has to. And we just don't have an accurate count of how many people are affected because so many people, yeah. I believe, are misdiagnosed mm-hmm. and not reported. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anybody out there that's listening that has CFS or fibromyalgia, just go get tested for Lyme disease. (laughs) Because you never know. And you never know. know, It has given me a total new appreciation for people with other chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. My my good friend has rheumatoid arthritis. I know people who have fibromyalgia, they have CFS, Mm -hmm. they have celiac it, it really has given me, it's opened my eyes. I always knew that chronic illnesses were out there, but I never thought about them for myself. So I never focused on them. Mm-hmm. It, I was respectful of other people who had them and it's in standing in shoes. And mm-hmm. you go through what I've gone through. You have, you take the rose colored glasses off and you realize yeah. there's, there's a lot of people suffering out there Definitely. with many different chronic diseases. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to stick together and create a chronic community because, you know, it's, it's hard. We go through these ups and downs. And unfortunately for the people that don't have a chronic disease, they just don't hundred percent understand that we can have a good day today and have a really bad day tomorrow, but then be totally fine the next day. It's a roller coaster. It's crazy. That's right. From the time I quit my VP position, I took a manager position. I had to quit. I took a consultant position I had to quit that was full-time, and I had three seasonal HR manager positions I had to quit. I kept, I've kept trying over and over again to go back to work, and I've had flexible employers who've been phenomenal, but eventually I just ran out of steam. I couldn't do it, and I felt so guilty yeah. that I couldn't deliver mm-hmm. what I needed to deliver in the workplace as an employee. So it, it really erodes your self-confidence and particularly you need financially to have an income of some sort. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
it's not like we can all just say we don't need it. So yeah, exactly. If only, right? <laughs> yeah. If only. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice, Michelle. How can our listeners get in touch with you? So um, my email address is mmlacharity, which is M-M-L-A-C-H-A-R-I-T as in Thomas E at gmail.com. So people can feel free to email me. I'd be happy to answer any questions, share experiences. Um, I'm all about paying it forward and helping people. And it helps me when I'm helping other people. And I've learned so much from my fellow Limeys. So I think it, it does just as much for me as, as it may help another person. So I'm happy to have anyone contact me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our lovely listeners, that's all for this episode. And we will catch you on the flip side.